Thank you all for being here. It's good to see you and to be together this beautiful Sunday morning with so many of you. I remarked at 8.30 that when you stand up, the place really, really does look more full. And uh, back in biblical days, the rabbi sat down to speak. So maybe if I sat down and you all stood up, we could, we could try that. I'm just uh, <laughs> Probably wouldn't work so well, but uh, <laughs> oh, I'm glad to be here and to stand before you today, and thank you for, uh, for this privilege. Our scripture lesson for today is, once again, from Matthew's Gospel, a place where we've been hanging out most of the summer, and we'll continue for a few more weeks. Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 10, and I would ask you to please stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 10. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plan that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Then he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatsoever goes into the mouth enters into the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be May be seated. Continuing now with messages that hopefully matter from the mind of Matthew. Did you wash your hands? If I had a nickel for every time my mother said that to me. If I had a nickel for every time I said that to my children, if I had a nickel for every time they said that to their children, I don't know what I'd do with all that money. And now most everywhere you go to a hospital or a doctor's office or a grocery store, you get one of the little wet wipe sanitary things or the little squeeze things or something. Somebody is determined that we keep our hands as germ-free as possible. Now, if you came here today expecting a lecture on personal hygiene, then uh, <laughs> your excitement will be short-lived. Um, the reason for all this hand-washing talk is the second part of verse 20 in our scripture lesson for today, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. I wish I had been more familiar with that scripture when I was a child. I can hear myself now saying to my mother, no, mother, to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. <laughs> My mother would have defiled me, I'm sure. <laughs> Quoting scripture can get you in a lot of trouble. You need to think about that sometimes. So I think it would behoove us at this point to run back to the beginning of this scripture passage and see what led up to all this stuff and what else is there. Jesus' comment about 
hand washing, not a topic that you think he would be addressing very often or would be of some great significance, but, but there it is. To eat with one washed hands does not defile. Jesus is addressing a crowd, a crowd that still has opportunity to hear him live and in person in the flesh and to respond to what he has to say. They were in a great position at that point, and, and so he's addressing the crowd. And he's talking about things that are important. The theme here is the issue of what defiles. What makes one ritually unclean? What separates one from the holiness of the community of faith? And what separates one from the holiness of God? That seems to be what's going on here. Biblical scholar by the name of Eugene Boring, and I know that's a terrible name for a biblical scholar, but... uh, But his stuff is really not bad at all, and I would commend it to you. But he has a little bit to say about this I want to share with you. He said, Jesus' blanket declaration that people are not made unclean by what enters their mouths, but by what comes out, is not a comprehensive pronouncement nullifying all the food laws of the Old Testament and the Torah regarding ritual defilement. It is rather a thoroughly biblical and Jewish mode of helping folks see the importance that it's not what goes in, it's what's in the heart. It's our interior, the commitments of the heart. As they come to express the way one speaks and acts and thinks over against ritual commandments and things which are still not abolished. Now, he was saying these things in the mid-1990s. About 40 years before that, in the mid-1950s, William Barclay, and he's a, a scholar that's been around almost forever, that many of you are familiar with. I still have his commentaries and use them occasionally. I know some Sunday school classes here use his stuff, and it's it's still legitimate, and it still can be helpful. But he has a different take on this. He said it may be well held that for a Jew, this was the most startling thing that Jesus ever said. Or in this saying... He does not only condemn Pharisaic and scribal and ritual traditions, but he's condemning a part of the teaching in the book of Leviticus. And in fact, he's saying that part of that tradition is to be thrown out and is not valid anymore. He's saying that this words of Jesus, Barclay is saying the words of Jesus, contradict the words of Scripture. That kind of got my attention. And he went on to say, this saying of Jesus cancels all of the food laws of the Old Testament. Quite possibly, these laws might still be held as matters of hygiene and health and, and some common sense and medical wisdom, but they could never again stand as matters of religion. This is how Barclay is interpreting all this stuff. Once and for all, Jesus lays it down. It's not, it's not the state of someone's ritual observance that matters. It's the state of their heart. What's going on in here? That's, that's what matters. Now, I tend to come down on the side of Eugene Boring just a bit here, if he were actually to be in a debate with William Barclay. Boring reminds us of the way Matthew's gospel embraces even the words of the prophet Hosea. You remember those words, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The ritual intention, not being a bad thing, not being an evil thing, but is that what really matters? Or is it in here? And then the scene shifts in verse 12. Jesus is addressing the disciples and not the crowd. 
Sometimes he would come apart from the crowd and, and just talk to his friends, talk to his inner circle. Those folks that he knew would, would carry the message and be there to influence after he was gone. And they said to him, do you know the Pharisees took offense at what you said? Jesus shrugged it off. Every tree said it's not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted and, and piled up and thrown away. Forget them. They're blind folks leading blind folks. And when blind folks lead blind folks, the whole crowd of them ends up in the ditch. Peter said, I don't get it. <laughs> Put it in plain language, Lord. Jesus replied, you too. Are you missing this on purpose, Peter? Don't you know that anything that is all it works its way through the digestive system and, and ends up in the sewer, but what comes out of the mouth has a start in the heart. It's from the heart that we throw up evil arguments and murders and sexual sins and thefts and lies. That's what pollutes eating or not eating certain foods. Neither here nor there, Jesus said. Washing or not washing your hands, neither here nor there. That's not the point. That's not what this is all about. I started off with the hand washing thing, so let me say just a little bit about the eating thing here, the eating side of this equation, what to eat, what not to eat. still a hot topic, isn't it? Any article you read, any magazine you pick up, any advertisement you listen to, most of anything you see on the Internet, there's advice there, suggestions there of what to eat, what not to eat. Eat this, don't eat that, and you'll live 200 years, and all those kind of promises and, and all those strange things going on. You can't turn anywhere. There's advice about that. Too much of this will help you. Too much of that will kill you. And so we sort of learn to pick and choose the articles we read and the studies we pay attention to. And since I'm a coffee-holic, and there's a lot of studies out there right now about coffee, I read the ones that say it's good stuff and it'll help you. And I... <laughs> I'm pretty much ignoring all the others. Um, but again, you didn't come here today to hear about hand washing or about diet, nutrition, what to eat and what not to eat. But if you'd like to continue that conversation about healthy eating, um, then maybe I can meet you at the varsity one day this week and we can... <laughs> what comes out of the mouth starts in the heart. That's what defiles people. That's what gets people in trouble. That's what, that's what hurts people. For out of the heart come our words, reveal our hearts. So what does foul or inappropriate or destructive or hateful language say about the state of our hearts? And any time I start talking about language, I just can't help but tell this story that somebody told me years ago. When it happened in a church, it may have been true. There was a woman in the church whose husband had gotten in the habit of just using some really vile language. Just every time he opened his mouth at home, he wasn't that way at church. And so she went to the pastor and said, you need to talk to him. He's one of the leaders in your church. He's one of your deacons. You need to talk to him. You need to help him. I don't know what else to do. And he said, just don't worry about it, sister. I got this covered. So he called the guy into his office one day, and he had that conversation. The guy just hung his head, and you could tell he was ashamed. And he didn't deny it. He confessed to his pastor. He said, yeah, I've been using that language. It's been getting worse and worse, and I want to stop it. And I'm making a vow right now I'm going to stop it. I want you to pray for me, pastor, and, and I want to put this behind me. That's really not who I am. pastor said, I'm glad to hear that, and I'll help you. 
And by the way, I got a little time off this Friday afternoon. Would you like to go fishing? And the deacon said, well, sure, I'd love to go fishing with you, Pastor. So Friday afternoon, it was in the fall, sunshiny day, beautiful weather out on the lake, and they were fishing. Pastor hooked one, and he fought that fish and fought that rascal and struggled with it for minutes and minutes and minutes. And he finally got it up near the boat and lifted it up out of the water. And it was this huge bass, and it started flipping and flopping like fish tend to do. And it came off the hook, fell back in the water. And the preacher looked at the deacon and said, Brother, something needs to be said. Sometimes our language can be inappropriate in public places, but there's no malice behind the words. Do you know some of those folk? You work with them, you ever been with some of those folks? Maybe some of us are some of those folks sometimes. Use a word that might be offensive or inappropriate, but they mean no malice by it. You know this person. If you needed help and call them, they would, they would be there regardless of the time of the day or night. There are folk who are like that. But words, we need to remember, even if they're not curse words or cuss words or profane words, words have a power about them. Folk who say sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. That's never been the truth. Words can be cutting and belittling and hurtful and destructive. And remember, for a long time, and once they're out there, It's hard to reel them back in. We can't take them back, can we? Such words are birthed in unclean and and unrepentant hearts sometimes. Richard Blackaby, and you may have read some of his books, his father's Henry Blackaby, and there are several of the Blackaby brothers who've written some really landmark books that Sunday school classes here and other places may have used. But a few years ago, Richard Blackaby wrote a book called Putting a Face on Grace. And I would recommend it to anybody or to any group. It's an excellent book. It's about 10 years old. It's still good. He said in that book, Every encounter that I have with someone is an opportunity to impart life-giving words. He said, If I'm not careful, I can crush someone's spirit. To discourage someone is to take away their courage. There are words that will give life, and there are words that will bring that showing grace is all about choosing the former over the latter, life over death. And then he quotes Paul in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, for building up, that may impart grace to the hearers. And then he continued, I've always understood this passage up to a point. It cautioned me to watch my language, to refrain from gossip or criticism or other inappropriate language. And he said, I generally consider this verse in negative terms, telling me what not to do, what to stay away from to to help me and to help others. But one day, the last part of that verse, he said, caught my attention, that your words may impart grace to the hearers. I'd always assumed, he said, grace was something God gave. My obligation was to avoid careless language. While God was the one who imparted grace, this verse gives another perspective. We are to be meticulous with our words because they are a potential source of the grace of God. To people 
who desperately need it. Do we think of our words like that? Being a means of grace to folks who desperately need that grace in their lives and we cross paths with them every day. And he ends by saying, our words have the power to give life to others. What an incredible privilege. What an awesome opportunity. What a frightening thought. Every day we are surrounded by people who need to be built up. The world has battered them down. People have deceived them. Life has confused them. But we have words that can embrace them and encourage them and make them stronger. Words of grace. Words from God that give hope to their souls, to their lives, and refresh their souls. Every encounter, he said, with other human beings is an opportunity to share life words or death words. There's a story about a group of pious folks who were waiting in heaven for the judgment. Uh, Who knew there was a, a waiting room, but they were waiting there. And as they are waiting and complaining about the wait... Remember where they are, complaining about waiting. They begin to see some of the, quote, sinners who are coming in another door, who are are gathering there with them. There's a corrupt politician. There's an itinerant woman who had been convicted of shoplifting numerous times. There's a prostitute and a drug addict and a guy who lived most of his life behind bars. With each of these arrivals, this feeling of hostility increases in the first group. You can imagine how they were getting all puffed up. And within a short time, they were speaking words to each other, and then they began to speak to the other group. What gives you the right to be here? How do you expect to get in those gates? And they said, we are relying on the mercy and grace of God. How are you getting in? And they said, our good lives, of course. They turned their backs on the others. Time began to drag on for the first group. They began to complain if they get in. Well, then I don't know what we're doing here. There's no justice in the world. After all the sacrifice we've made in our life, it's not fair. The Lord arrived. He turned toward the first group. I understand you've been wondering why there's been no judgment. Yes, they cried out. Yes, we want justice. We want judgment. The judgment has already taken place. You've judged yourselves. By judging the least of these, my sisters and brothers, you've judged yourself. And rejecting them, you have rejected me. You have shown yourselves unworthy of the kingdom of God. We are defiled, Jesus tells us, by the unloving words that spring so readily from our mouths. A few years ago, Bishop Reuben Job authored a short book entitled Three Simple Rules. You may remember that. They're from the general rules of Methodism, three simple rules. And you, Bishop Job died, I think, a few years ago. He was the editor of the Upper Room for several years and wrote in the spiritual realm like no other, just a great writer, a great human being. And the first of those three simple rules that he wrote about is one that we all know. You've heard it a lot. First, do no harm. In that section of the book, he writes, I will guard my lips, my mind, and my heart so that my language will not disparage, injure, or wound another child of God. I must do no harm, even while I seek a common good. And then he quotes from John Wesley. Wesley was preaching 
one day about this heart-mouth connection that I believe this passage is all about. Wesley said it may be easily believed he who had this love in his heart would work no evil to his neighbor. It was impossible for him knowingly and designedly to do harm to any person. He was at the greatest distance from cruelty and wrong, from any unjust or unkind action. With the same care did he set a watch before his mouth and keep the door of his lips, lest he should offend in tongue either against justice or against mercy or truth. He put away all lying, I'll get that a little closer, all falsehood, and fraud, and neither was guilt found in his mouth. He spoke evil of no one or any person, nor did any unkind word come out of his lips. The entirety of today's, today's gospel lesson has been about externals and internals. What's out here and, and what's in here, the without and the within, and the connection between the two, what's in our hearts. What comes out of our mouths? What, what do we live out in our lives? And that connection is subject to breaking. It's subject to fraying and frazzling and corrosion and corruption. And it happens again and again. That connection is always subject to breaking down. And when that happens, an alternative vocabulary is not sufficient. We need a new heart. Don't call the cardiologist. Amen.